invite you to a soul level encounter. Music has an incredible ability to proclaim the soul's language beyond what mere words can speak. That's what we seek as we invite our guests to share their song of the soul. You will hear the music that has charted the steps of their spiritual journey, that has provided a touchstone in the soul's dark night and sung the heart's awe and joy when come to the light. Over the next hour, you will be a witness and companion to our guest's spiritual path and sacred testimony. Welcome to Song of the Soul. For me, and I hope for you, Music is a great heart uniter and life changer. One such musical influence for me is Charlie King. I've had him on my shows before, but it's been way too long. So we have him back today. Charlie is a songwriter on a mission in the great folk tradition with a real gift for making the transformation fun. And Charlie King's phone and the man himself are over in Massachusetts. So here we go. Charlie, it's so wonderful to have you back for a full-scale Song of the Soul after all these years, ever since 2008. My, my, time flies. (laughs) How are you, Mark? Well, I'm doing reasonably well. Uh, We both have our trials. Previously talking to you, I mentioned my wife has cancer and she's going through chemo, and so I'm going through some of the tribulations of that, but at the same time, I've never seen a greater outpouring of love and support, so it's really been wonderful and horrible at the same time to be me. How have you doing? I'm doing quite well, thank you. As you know, I had a similar experience and ultimately losing my partner, Karen, to cancer. It's over three years ago. That was, as you experienced, both a very difficult disease to deal with and also an amazing opportunity to experience and receive the love and support of other people. You find you have quite a community. Yeah, and part of that experience of community, I think I've seen my wife cry more tears of joy and thankfulness in the past six weeks since she's been on chemo than in the previous 10 years. People just show up, and it's so wonderful to be part of that. And it does make us question, why don't we pay more attention to our community day to day and not just wait till the crises happen? Yeah. One of the things, I mean, I don't expect that my wife will die of cancer, but one of the things that it does make one take stock of is what have I left unsaid, undone? What part of fulfilling my life have I not done? I have the sense that you, Charlie King, are always living a fulfilled life, but maybe that did ratchet it up for you a little bit to be aware of Karen's possible death. Well, Karen died a very thoughtful and conscious death. The process took about a year. She was dealing with a kind of cancer that was not really treatable, and so she did not undergo any of the kind of punishing and invasive treatments that other diagnoses call for. 
So we had 10 very good months during which we really focused on each other, traveled less for business, traveled more for love of one another. Then the last two months when she went into uh, decline and into hospice care, she was just very thoughtful every step of the way. And I think it's fair to say there was little or nothing left unsaid between us. What a blessing. Nothing left unsaid or unsung. But you've produced more music since her passing, and your latest is called Life and Love, Tears and Laughter. How long a period were those songs produced over? Not all the songs were written by me. So some of the songs are nearly 40 years old, but the stuff that I wrote basically are songs that I have written in the last three years, and for that reason, songs that I've written since Karen's death. And it was produced by Reggie Harris. And I just talked to him recently because, uh, along with you, I was talking to him about the music of Pete Seeger. Ah, yeah. Of course, he's got his own rich assortment, he, the music that he and Kim make. And just, I mean, there's so much good music there. Could you produce an album for someone else, or is this a special talent that Reggie has? Reggie has a remarkable ability to hear what's going on, to hear what's missing, and an amazing ability to stay focused for hours and hours at a time. I would never offer to produce somebody else's record because I really don't have the musical imagination, I don't have the ear, and I don't have that ability to hear things over and over and over again as you do in the studio and never to space out, to always be attentive to what's going on. So he's a, he's a remarkable person in that sense, and that's only one of the amazing things about him. He also did a great deal of the performance on the album. Most of the guitar work you hear is Reggie and me playing simultaneously and that was a real gift for me because I dread playing guitar in the studio because you're usually asked to work against uh, what they call a click track a rhythmic metronome that's playing in your ears while you're trying to play your instrument and the way we solved that dread that I have is that Reggie listened to the click track and I listened to Reggie and it was all very flowing and very satisfying to me. (laughs) Well, that's a cool way to work it. Yeah, and then he just was responsible for his own harmony lines, vocal harmony lines. And he also walked me through a lot of the harmonica parts on the album because he heard notes in the harmony that I wasn't hearing. And he really worked with me to pull those out of a a somewhat limited instrument, the harmonica. Well, let's get started with this second installment of your Song of the Soul. Now, I've had you on before for Song of the Soul and for Spirit in Action because so much of the work of your soul is your work in healing the world. How do you want to start this Song of the Soul? Why don't we turn to that song that I wrote after going to the 50th anniversary march in Washington, the march that recalled Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech. The Reverend Al Sharpton delivered the keynote address. He talked about all of the states that are passing laws to restrict who can vote, finding ways to pick out the most marginal people, people who either have to move around a lot for a job or are denied access to the systems that empower most of us. And he said, you know, when they ask for your photo ID, put down a picture of Medgar Evers or of Schwerner and Cheney and Goodman and say, uh, this is me. This is how I got here and this is why I'm eligible to vote today. And it just 
made a, it had enormous impact for me. I just remember standing there with tears running down my cheeks. And it took me probably six months before I could actually try to set the idea behind that into song. And that's how we got three faces in a row. Don't tell me you don't know me. I voted here before. Since Truman snuck past Dewey, I've been walking through that door. And now you say I need an ID. Well, I got one to show. I've carried it for 50 years, three faces in a row. The first is Andrew Goodman, James Cheney to his right. Third is Michael Schwerner, and they brought me here tonight. They gave their lives so I could vote. They were murdered by the Klan. Look at these pictures, then you'll know exactly who I am. Back then, it was the poll tax and the old grandfather clause. But now you're getting cagey with your voter ID laws. You talk about election fraud Let's talk about Jim Crow And don't talk to me You talk to these three faces in a row You tell the law and order Why don't you tell the truth There's nothing that you wouldn't do To keep me from that booth Your law degree may hinder this one thing I know, I'm not alone. My right to vote was paid for long ago. And the price was high, the lives of these three faces in a row. Powerful song from Charlie King. His website, charlieking.org. You have questions about spelling, come by org. Three faces in a row, and those three faces, again, are Andrew Goodman, James Cheney, and Michael Schwerner. All three of them were murdered in Mississippi back in 1964. They were working with Congress of Racial Equality, known as CORE, on voter registration. It is quite discouraging, Charlie, to see so many efforts and efforts that have been largely allowed by our courts, uh, though some of them have been turned back, to limit who can get into the voting booth. And probably 20 years ago, I would have said this never could happen. It's quite daunting to see it happen. Does it weigh on you, or does this just fire you up more? Well, I don't live in a state that requires those restrictive voting requirements, but I do carry a wallet-sized picture of Goodman and Schwerner and Cheney where I have my photo ID in my wallet, and I never produce a photo ID without that being visible. And it was a a transformative experience to listen to the speakers at that 50th anniversary march. And I do find it scandalous that these restrictive laws are being passed. And yet at the same time, it fits so perfectly into the combative partisan politics that characterize the way government is being run today. It has little or nothing to do with the common good, it seems to me. It's all a series of turf wars, 
and ego. <laughs> Which is not good news for anybody. <laughs> not good news for anyone, no. Although there is a very successful effort to get mind share. I have a brother who's very conservative, and he goes right into the talking points. I'm in favor of liberty, and he thinks that these things, which are actually a limitation of our communal society, are enhancement somehow of his liberty, which I, I really don't think is the case either for him individually or for other people individually. But it's been sold pretty well. Yeah, yeah. Now, I got a couple brothers like that, too. <laughs> and I think that might be an important function for songwriters and poets and perhaps very thoughtful essayists to try to cut through all of the misinformation that's floating around. You know, statistically, we know that voter fraud, which is the banner that is raised to justify a lot of these restrictive voting laws, is virtually non-existent. It's statistically insignificant. And we know that the number of people who are excluded from the rolls by these laws is quite significant, quite a large number dwarfing the occasional fraud by a factor of, I don't know, 100,000 to 1. But I think part of partisan politics and partisan thinking is you sort of pick the argument that most supports what you want to believe, and then you run with it. And I think probably I'm as guilty of that as either of my brothers is. Yeah, we all have that. We operate from our frames, and the things that don't fit in our frames, we just toss out as non-facts or fake news or something. We just don't give it the energy. So, yeah, it's unfortunate that it seems that the diligence with which people toss out things that don't agree with their thinking has grown. And, and that's sad for me because politics is very important. I mean, it does affect many of our lives, but community should, uh, if I dare use the word Trump, should trump our narrow interests that somehow, if we don't survive as a community, we don't survive. That's the way I think about it. And so getting tripped up by individual little issues is unfortunate from my point of view. Folks, we are speaking with Charlie King, who's the guest today for Song of the Soul, which is a Norton Spirit Radio production. We've, we've been doing these programs since 2005, and you can find them on our site, nordenspiritradio.org. You can listen to all of them, and you can download them. You can find stations where we're broadcasted. You can find links. So when you want to find charlieking.org, if you have any doubt about how to spell any of those words, it's right there on our site. There's also a place to post comments. We love two-way communications. You do your part by posting a comment when you visit. There's also a place to donate. This is full-time work, and it's supported only by your donations, not by government and not by corporations. It's because you, the listener, want to see it continue. Click donate when you visit. But even more important, I'd say, and Charlie King, I'm sure, can affirm this, it's so important to have local media sources, specifically the community radio stations that carry this kind of program, 
they're bringing you voices that are local, that are not part of the mainstream, that are just so invaluable, and that give you a flavor of your community. So please, start by supporting your local community radio stations. I particularly send word out to WIDE, which is down in Madison, the first station, I believe, to carry it when we started syndicating from Eau Claire. So please remember to support them. And again, Charlie King is here. This is the second time I've had him here for Song of the Soul, for sharing his own Song of the Soul. It's been quite a few years, and we just listened to Why Don't You Move to Russia. And again, Charlie, your life seems to be your work. I know that our life is more than our work, and our work is more than our job. But for you, there seems to be something close to an equation there. How do you think of it? How much of your life is not your work? Well, I think one way to approach the question is what happened when I thought I was retiring. (laughs) I've been an active member of the Musicians Union for most of my career and a rank-and-file activist to create a new local within that union, Local 1000, which is the Traveling Musicians Union of North America. And so when I hit a certain age, I was able to begin to draw on a pension, a union pension, which is a benefit that's becoming rapidly extinct and being replaced by private investment accounts. So I have this union pension, and then I got to be uh, the age when I could collect Social Security. And when I was collecting my pension and my Social Security, I looked at the balance sheet and realized that I was earning more than I had ever made in my life, (laughs) which seemed to me to be an indication that I should retire. And I think I even started talking about myself as a retired person, but with models like Pete Seeger and Rosalie Sorrells and uh, Utah Phillips, I realized that singing is not a job that you just retire from. So even though I am completely independent of my income as a performer, I continue to perform because it's what I love to do. That said, there are a lot of parts of my life that are distinct from my music making. I'm a grandfather. I have two beautiful grandchildren who live in Kentucky, so I have to do a bit of traveling to see them. I'm recently married. I have a wonderful partner, Candace Casson, although, well, although is the wrong word. And we're beginning now to perform together. She's doing performance pieces with me. And so we travel together. So our life is both one of a love and music and traveling and business. And, you know, I'm not what you call a sports fan, but I do follow the Boston Celtics. So that's an investment of um, anywhere from three to six hours a week, depending on the season, and I'm a movie buff. But I've always been a politicized person. I grew up in a politicized home. It was quite right-wing, but very political nonetheless. And so political activism has come to me pretty naturally, and it almost always now involves music. I went to a picket line last night to support striking workers at our local hospital nurses who have been denied a contract for far too long and soon found myself at the microphone singing an old song about organizing your nurses' unions. 
and also sang the song you referred to, that our life is more than our work. We were out on the sidewalk on this beautiful sunny day, and it just seemed right to say, look all around you and see all the people that make it worth being alive. So my music and my politics overlap so much that uh, I don't expect to retire from either. Yeah. It actually seems a pity to retire from the things that we love. So, like, I wouldn't retire from being a grandfather or something. Uh Uh-huh. There you go. (laughs) Example. Yeah. Well, I think not everyone is blessed to have work that fulfills them, satisfies them, and feels worth doing. So when you have work like that, whether it's a source of income or it's an avocation, you know, if it's reading at the library or volunteering at the hospital or showing up for picket lines like Jobs with Justice urges us to do, having that kind of meaningful work. It's a blessing in this life, and far too few people have it. And so I think people do very willingly and very eagerly retire. I've got good friends who did good work and saw that work become increasingly bureaucratized, saw cutbacks in the labor force that caused people to be overworked, and when they got a shot at early retirement, they grabbed it because the, the work that they had done had been so undercut and so depreciated by a lot of the forces in a system that respects profit more than the well-being of people or the education of students, that they were happy to get out while there was still time. Uh, that's a very sad reality. Well, and probably one that's increasingly an issue. Uh, in terms of spirituality, I would say that love of money is the root of all evil. And I think there's a lot of people who believe that you know capitalism and materialism are their religions, their gods. And so they don't they don't see that contradiction in that in terms of being religious and and holding to those values. But I am personally a believer in the commonwealth and that we're strongest when we work together, which is why your work with unions and other such good folks pulling together is so inspirational to me. There's a song that you did. It's on your big collection called So Far So Good that is particularly uplifting to me. I'm wondering if you'd be willing to share Trickle Up. Sure, I'd love to. And it harks back to what I said about growing up in a conservative home. The song starts with the argument that my father would share with us as kids on why socialism was a pipe dream, why it could never work in the real world. His explanation invited me to take it to its logical conclusion and living in the shadow of trickle-down economics, which never seemed to really trickle down at all, I thought it might be time to try trickling up. They say if you took all the money on earth and dispensed equal portions to each child at birth, that after a while it would all find its way back to the same handful that holds it today. Well, I'm willing to give that a try. Everyone gets a piece of the pie. When we give the money to the many at the bottom, wait for it to trickle up to the top. Give the money to the many at the bottom, top dog waiting for his trickle up. Marble dwells in a dump. 
Queens hotels for Donald Trump swap their salaries. She sits pretty, penthouse suite, Atlantic City. The money trickles back to Don. He can hire her husband Juan, pay 'em both a living wage. Trickle up, it's all the rage. Give the money to the many at the bottom. Wait for it to trickle up to the top. Give the money to the many at the bottom. Top dog waiting for his trickle up. Henry Ford's first hurrah was pay 'em enough to buy my car. The unions held the line on pay, but now the car has had its day. A better idea, a high-speed train, six weeks off, a raise in pay, and next thing you know it, we're all on board. See the USA in a train by Ford. Give the money to the many at the bottom. Wait for it to trickle up to the top. Give the money to the many at the bottom. Top dog waiting for his trickle up. Lives in Nome, lost his job, could lose his home. His bank bailed for Boku billions. Kick Quinn back a measly million. Pays his mortgage, credit card, hires Don Trump to rake his yard. Trump invests in a landscape biz. Know someday this will all be his because he gives the money to the many at the bottom and he waits for it to trickle up to the top. The money to the many at the bottom. Top dog waiting for his trickle up. Top dog waiting for his trickle up. Please wait. I love that song, Trickle Up by Charlie King. So far, so good is the recording. It's wonderful to hear Karen Brandau in there, and that fiddle is quite fun. And the chorus is so singable. I don't know if that's one that Pete Seeger would champion, but maybe there's some seeds of Pete Seeger coming out to the kind of thing that a a crowd could really sing together. Is that something that you in concert would get folks singing along with? Absolutely, right from the get-go. And, you know, one of the real transforming experiences of the apprenticeship of becoming a folk singer was listening to a lot of recordings and then a lot of going to a lot of live performances of Pete Seeger using his audience as his backup group, as his orchestra, and he being the orchestral leader. And and, uh, I learned from him how to line out a song for an audience, and I learned how to write singable choruses, and I learned how to resist my own verbosity and not to create choruses that are terribly clever but impossible for others to sing. So a singable chorus is, is a really wonderful thing to achieve and to share, and I think it really energizes an audience. And you get a group of people in the right size room, not a cathedral with 100-foot ceilings, but a space where people can hear each other. And singing along, as we did with Pete, is a real energizing community experience. And he believed that it had a power beyond anything we understand, that when we sing together, we're creating a spiritual and a political force that carries us beyond any place we dream of. 
Well, speaking of spiritual, work is spiritual for you, I'm sure, and music is spiritual. But you also, you have a Catholic background and maybe foreground. How's that going? Does that, is that a part of your weekly life or your monthly life or your yearly life? I mean, I grew up going to Catholic church every Sunday, and I go to Quaker meeting every Sunday now, too. But for me, it's just a part of the rhythm. How does that kind of spirituality weave into your life? I am uh, an uneasy Roman Catholic. I have found myself comfortable in the community and the ritual that I grew up in as a Catholic. I am not necessarily comfortable with a lot of the social and political messages that the Catholic Church puts out around sexuality, around reproductive rights, around our relationship with the Jewish community. And a lot of this is provoked by living in a small rural parish. So here's what I've done as an accommodation for that. When I'm at home, which is probably half the days of the year, I attend daily Mass and Eucharist at the local parish, which is a five-minute walk from where I live. Some years ago, I realized that attending Sunday services was causing more disruption in my spirit than nourishment. And that largely comes from the level of preaching that I heard when I went there, and that has continued to be problematic. So I found a church here in town that is a 10-minute walk away that has an Episcopal Eucharist on Sunday mornings, and my partner Candace and I attend that. We also often go up to the Benedictine Monastery in western Vermont, which is where Candace and I first met, and attend the prayer and uh, Eucharist services that they have at that monastery. So that's kind of my liturgical life. I feel at home among the small group of people, surprisingly primarily male, older men, who gather each morning at the local Catholic church, and the pastor mercifully does not preach on weekdays. So I walk out of there with an experience of ritual, of a Eucharistic banquet, a meal of Thanksgiving, I should say, and a community of people that I don't often see in other, other parts of my life, but we have this half hour every morning when we are a community that cares for one another. Uh, I'm also, uh, with Candace, a part of a group that calls itself, kind of ironically, Home Church, mostly made up of people who don't go to church. And we get together uh, two Sunday nights a month for about three hours, and we have quiet, and we have song, and we have shared thoughts, and we have a common meal, and we each speak about what the last two weeks has been like for us so that everybody knows how everybody else is doing and knows if anyone in that community of nine people need help or prayer or attention or appreciation. So we've really bonded as a community, and that is my core community here in Franklin County where I live. Huh. Well, that's a wonderfully thoughtful, rich assortment. It's a, it feels like a bouquet of religion, spirituality, the parts that fit and don't fit, and yet nurture various parts of you. I'm trying to figure out what to call that last one. You call it home church, the non-church home church. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, something like that. 
Yeah. Yeah. My survival in the Catholic parish, I think, is based sort of on a don't ask, you don't tell um, <laughs> policy. If it comes up, as sometimes it does, you know, how come I never see you on Sundays? I say, well, you know, I work weekends and uh, I like to shop around or something. But I'm always waiting for the axe to drop, but there are other places to go. So, Well, let's continue with some more of the music of this second installment of your Song of the Soul. And again, folks, this is Charlie King we're speaking with, charlieking.org. He's got a plethora, an abundance, uh, overflowing cup of music that to share with the world and i really encourage you to check him out and listen to more of it and let's do some more of that right now charlie what do you want to share let's listen to send in the drones that represents a couple of threads in my work one of them is that i am an avid writer of parodies i believe that you can really draw power in the presentation of a song if you envelop it in a melody that is familiar to people, a melody that people are comfortable with. And you can also use it in a way similar to the way a lot of the parables and the Gospels are used. You set up a certain set of expectations when you introduce uh, a melody, and then when you change the meaning, then you kind of pull the rug out from under people. And I think that head over heels space is an opening, a, a learning space for people. I think the uh, industrial workers of the world, songwriters like Joe Hill and John Brill and uh, uh, Ralph Chaplin, knew the value of setting up certain expectations and then delivering a different punchline. They they took the song, uh, Take It to the Lord in Prayer, and uh, sang it in a form that was familiar and strange at the same time, and then they delivered the punchline when it comes to Take It to the Lord in Prayer. They sing, Dump the Bosses Off Your Back. And that was their answer to the dilemmas that the song was built around. So I like a parody. I like the way it works in live performance. I I used to not record them, but now I just, you know, go to the copyright service and pay the price for recording it as if I were singing the original lyrics. And then I hope that the authors don't listen to my recordings. (laughs) Well, I hope that people do listen to your recordings. This is a great song by Charlie King, Send in the Drones. Isn't it strange? Aren't we a pair? One sitting safe on the ground, one in midair. Send in the drones <laughs> Never leave home Never ask why One rolls a joy Stick around One gets to fly Which is the drone? Send in the drones Hundreds are dead Thousands are maimed Digitized dolls on a screen No faces, no names Finish my four-hour shift And I find I'm alone 
far from the fray address unknown don't give your name feel no regret ask not for whom the bells toll fire and forget only a drone a deniable drone no problem and yet isn't it strange isn't it queer terror remotely controlled a pilot's career where are the drones why are there drones is anyone there Awesome parody of Send in the Clowns. This one's called Send in the Drones. It's from So Far So Good by Charlie King, charlieking.org. Follow the link on nordenspiritradio.org. And, I, you know, I get the feeling, Charlie, that you're not just real supportive of the idea of using drones. Is that a very good guess on my part? Yeah, it's a good guess, but there's, I think, more to the song than that. I'm a member of Veterans for Peace, or I should say I'm an associate member. I never saw active service in the military. I spent two years doing alternative service as a conscientious objector, but I'm still a member of Veterans for Peace. And I think every song that I've written and every song that I've sung that deals with war and deals with soldiers is written from a perspective of compassion for the soldiers who get drawn into this vicious, awful system that has a history and a future that I do not understand. I, I, I don't understand why people keep doing this. I'm assuming you were a conscience subjector during Vietnam War, given your relative age. Yeah, it was in 1967 that I applied to be a CO, and I, I, it, that's a lengthy process, and I did my alternative service in 1970-71. Did you do that as a Catholic back then? I did, yeah. And I was especially fortunate to be able to contact the Catholic Peace Fellowship and members of the Catholic Worker in New York City who were well-versed in draft counseling and knew the law and knew that the bias that said only people from traditional pacifist churches should be allowed to present religion as a reason for their conscientious objection. I made the application when I was attending a Jesuit college in Cleveland and had two priests from that Jesuit college write recommendations for me. One of them was a theologian and another one was a military historian who didn't agree with what I was saying but was convinced of validity and sincerity of my uh, application. So it was very much within the, the fold of Catholicism that I got my CO status. Well, that's quite cool. Let's keep going with more music. Uh, there's a couple more songs we'd like to include, if we can fit them in our hour, and I'm pretty sure we'll have bonus excerpts. So folks, do go to nordenspiritradio.org and click on the interview with Charlie King, his second song of the soul. 
and listen to the bonus excerpts that won't fit into the broadcast. But what's up next? Well, why don't we go to Yanira Marino? This came about in an interesting way. Pete Seeger had sent me the front page of the Wall Street Journal, which I don't subscribe to. Apparently he did. And it had a picture of a Salvadoran woman who had to flee her homeland because she was a political activist. And she came to Southern California and finally got a job, the kind of jobs that immigrants get, hard work, dirty work, low-paying job. And she refused to be bullied by her employers, and she managed to organize her workplace and bring everybody up to a higher level of respect and job security and income. So uh, Pete had said, you know, Charlie, Woody Guthrie would have written a song about this woman, and since he's not around, I think you should do it. (laughs) That's a pretty good imitation of his voice, too, by the way. (laughs) Well, being asked by Pete Seeger to write Woody Guthrie's song was intimidating enough. Having to play it for him when it was done was even more intimidating, but now it's past me, and I, I enjoy hearing it. And we're going to enjoy hearing it, too. Yanira Marino, it's from So Far So Good by Charlie King. They laugh and they tell us the unions are dead Now it's every man for himself Well, here in L.A. there's a new union made I tell you folks, she's something else Her name is Yanira, a daring Latina She knows her strength and her worth She's younger but wiser, a born organizer, the kind we call salt of the earth. Hey, Yanira, I just want to sing your name. Yanira, daughter of El Salvador. Yanira, nothing ever will be the same. They had murdered her lover for speaking his mind She ran north across Mexico The death squad pursued her and did some things to her I don't think that you'd want to know But her spirit's unbroken, she's brave and outspoken, a steady, unquenchable flame. And she brought that fire to the sweatshop that hired her, they'll never forget her name. It's Yanira, I just want to sing your name. Yanira, daughter of El Salvador. Nothing ever will be the same. Twenty-seven years old, two kids and no job. She hires on at a shrimp packing plant. Where the boss, he was rude, the foreman was lewd, the perks and the wages were scant. But her bright smile would shine to her friends on the line. How long, good people, how long? They can pull any crime on us one at a time. But in union, 
song. What a wonderful Latina to inspire us, how to pull together. And uh, I hope that she got to hear her song. I, Pete Seeger got to hear it, but Charlie King, did you actually f- track down this woman ever and share it with her? Yeah, actually the first person to track her down was Karen Brando, who brought the recording of the song to a Labor Notes conference that Yaneta was speaking at. And then when uh, we were at the the U.S. Social Forum in Detroit some years ago, we were doing a concert at a a church in Detroit, and Yanita strolled in in the middle of the concert, and I was able to introduce her and sing the song for her. She had heard it before. And it's a wonderful thing. It's one of the best things about writing songs about real people, real stories, things that actually happened, is that eventually you may get the chance to share it with that person. And our lives are not taken seriously often enough and all the focus on the rich and the famous and the singing idols and uh, you know the one percent 
sometimes make us feel that we can only celebrate life vicariously. So to have a, a song or a poem or a, a portrait done of you, I think, uh, affirms people in a way that we've become unused to. Yeah. Well, hooray for Yanira from El Salvador and bringing the wealth that so many immigrants do, the wealth of spirit that people bring to our country. We do have to rush into one more song. So let's finish up Charlie King's Song of the, song of the Soul, Revisited. What's the final song, Charlie? Well, I think I would pick a song that I wrote after having read an article in New York Times about oh, a couple of years ago, and it listed a statistic that was startling but was cold, and I wanted to have people know the statistic but to hear it in a way that had some emotional weight, had some flesh and blood, and so that's how I came to write One in Six. It's not an uplifting song, as I would say. It's it's a stark, frightening one. But then the the story of the new Jim Crow is not uplifting. It's it's a sign that the faces may change, the names change, the methods may change, but racism continues on its ugly journey in our lives. How do you use this in concert when you're, you're speaking to people? What do you hope that by singing the song it changes in them. Well, I think that the racism that is so destructive in the fabric of American life is constantly mystified that people in power are always looking for ways to deny, to cover up, to redefine reality in a way that denies the racism that is constantly impoverishing the lives of everybody who lives in this society. And so I think this is just one drop in an ocean of information that people need to hear in order to take seriously the consequences in real people's lives of the way we treat people of color in this country. Well, I'm going to play us out for Charlie King's Song of the Soul Revisited, his second one, and we shouldn't have to wait another nine years to do the next one, Charlie. But this song is One in Six. It's from his latest release, Life in Love, Tears and Laughter. He sings it a cappella. Obviously, comes from the heart, Charlie, and I appreciate so much that you do with the dedication of your life, that your work doesn't stop just because your job could. It's wonderful to see that continuing on and passing on the seeds of hope and love and life to so many people. So thank you for joining me again today for Song of the Soul. Thank you, Mark. It was an honor and a joy. CharlieKing.org is the website. Thanks to Andrew Jansen for production assistance on today's program. We'll see you next week for Song of the Soul. Here is One in Six by Charlie King. By the latest estimation, black men in the prime of life, due to mass incarceration, taser, chokehold, gun, and knife, Notwithstanding loud entreaties Falling on disdainful ears Now are an endangered species One in six have disappeared
Father, brother, son, or lover, one in six have disappeared. Stolen lives we can't recover, one in six have disappeared. Every home bereft or broken, every bond that we hold dear. All the love that's left unspoken, one in six have disappeared. Elder, mentor, willing student, one in six have disappeared. Damned by forces jurisprudent, one in six have disappeared. Master, journeyman, apprentice, pacifist or bombardier, teacher, lawyer, doctor, dentist, one in six have disappeared. Out in Ferguson, Missouri, two in five have disappeared. Numbers tell a harder story. Two in five have disappeared. Genders equal at beginning if they live past teenage years. Sixty men, one hundred women, two in five have disappeared. Ends the song that's sung in sorrow, one in six have disappeared. Even if we change tomorrow, one in six have disappeared. Reparations and repentance, justice rendered, life revered. Still we hear the heavy sentence, one in six have disappeared. One in six have disappeared. The theme music for Song of the Soul is by Chris Williamson, and it's called Song of the Soul. My name is Mark Helpsmeet, and this is a Northern Spirit Radio production. You can listen to this program again, track down the list of songs included, and a whole lot more on my website, northernspiritradio.org. And I invite you to share your Song of the Soul with my listeners. Just contact me via my website. And please, join me weekly for Song of the Soul. You can be happy Let in the light it will heal you And you can feel you And sing out a song